Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Chris Lance. Chris is a senior director at UNA, a group purchasing organization, and the official home of the Sourcing Hero. Chris is my most regular guest as he joins me once a month to talk about current events and what they may mean to procurement and sourcing professionals. So hi, Chris. Welcome back. Happy to be here as always. Hey, Kelly. So it seems like the news cycle is spinning faster and faster. I feel like we talked about five minutes ago and it was a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I originally were kind of hoping to talk about that looming railway strike and it went and resolved itself on us. Yeah, it definitely um, did. So you got to really be on your toes with these news stories. What else are you watching these days? Yeah, so I, I think good or bad news, right? I think it's a good news that we don't need to talk about the railway, right. railway strike for the time being. But you know, outside of the, you know, I, I'm still watching these food and drought issues, which mm-hmm. you know, I still don't think people are taking quite seriously. But out, outside of that, well, I mean, <laughs> uh, not funny, but, you know, Queen Elizabeth, you know, has been dominating right. the, the headlines and everything that's going on in the UK. Um, I have seen some rumors or some grumbling around the concept of a four day school week, which I was like, huh, wonder where they got that from. And, and then, will we get to vote? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I think, and while I think that's interesting, I think there's the, the main thing that's been jumping out to me is there was an executive order passed on the 12th, so last week, um, and it was around advancing biotechnology, and that really has my attention. There's some really interesting stuff um, on that topic and in that order. So, so there's a ton going on, but mm-hmm. not the least of which and a topic we're going to take on today, sort of like the, it's all the rage from a professional talent standpoint, is this idea of quiet quitting and quiet firing. So Mm. why don't I have you get us started by just kind of hitting like, what do these two terms mean? And then we'll sort of dig in and, and try to figure out how we're all going to handle them. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm glad we're starting there. Um, you know, because without, without being on the same page of, at least of the definition, it could, depending on the rest of you know the audience listening, you may have a, have a strong opinion. Um, and so, I guess what I mean by that is I'm seeing a lot of different definitions. But for me, or, or how I'm applying it is, you know, quiet quitting is essentially doing the job you were hired hired to do, but absolutely nothing more than that. Um, which I think that alone kind of flies in the face of this monster of hustle culture that we've all had some sort of hand in creating. But then you look at the flip side, there's quiet firing, which is, I don't know if I want to say demoralizing, but maybe (laughs) discouraging a workforce to the point where they actually want to quit, which if you look at some not too old headlines, I think Facebook and Tesla, they've been flexing a bit in this area over the last month or so too. But I actually think there's quite a few companies that are doing this because there's a lot of polls where 
why I even think a LinkedIn poll, I think it was like over 80%, you know, felt that they might be going through some quiet firing. So I don't know if that's anxiety or if there's some truth to that. Mm. So. Well, and not to take my eye off the ball, I do feel it's important to bring into this discussion that I read in the newspaper over the weekend that Giselle may be quiet quitting her marriage to Tom Brady. So this is absolutely critical, something Mm -hmm. that we all need to be monitoring. And yet, (laughs) you know what? I've been around. I'm calling shenanigans on this being a new trend because I think people have been getting quiet fired and people have been quiet quitting for as long as there have been jobs. I just think these ideas have sort of gone through an affecting an effective branding exercise. But clearly right now, people are really interested. What do you think is sort of the bigger picture right now that's capturing everybody's attention and leading to so much discussion of this? Well, I, first of all, I think you're right. Um, I think so for me, I've always looked at things like that, you know, the, the classic 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle where yeah. You know, 80% of outcomes come from 20% of input. And well, that's, again, that's been in business for ages. Why why I think this is catching fire outside of just very high profile individuals are speaking on it is I think it's also because we're experiencing this shift within that 20%. And I think it's with, with, with those top performers. And I think with that, it's, I think it's freaking business owners out. Mm. I mean- you know, there's not a lot of CEO. I mean, tell me a CEO who can say, you know what, fine, I don't need those 600 people anyway, I'll do it myself. Like that, <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. And so, well, you know, you might argue, well, you know, top talent can be replaced. Of course, every, every, you can always be replaced, right? However, I would argue that's not so easy if we're already having, well, what we're seeing in the market is hiring issues. Mm-hmm. And if the top performers are taking this firm of a stance, what is what is your out? And so I think that's, you know, I think that's why businesses and business owners are actually, it's, I think they're hitting the panic button a little bit. And I, I actually was wondering, is this, is this kind of, I don't want to say propaganda, but propagating maybe the opposite side. I saw something, this very recent article called um, Fat Firing, which is more about, it's actually speaking to like hustle culture and how people are able to retire soon if they really do just work more and and really just really pour gasoline on their work ethic. And I just thought, that's interesting because I haven't seen any articles about this in, in such a long time. Uh, but I think that's really why um, it's garnering so much attention. Well, and it is interesting. And, and you mentioned, you know, no CEO is going to say, you know, that's all right. And do sort of an Atlas shrug and say, nah, like we don't, we don't need those guys that decided they don't want to work hard anymore. Right. And companies do exist to sort of protect themselves as a machine. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're publicly traded, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders. But even if you're a smaller business that's privately owned, you still have a responsibility to protect the company's ability to operate and earn for everyone that's invested. So it makes me start to wonder whether it's real or imagined, what are some of the things that companies might start to change from a policy standpoint to protect themselves against the downside of of quiet quitting? Yeah. So I... For me, I think the steps they're going to take, in my opinion, will probably be the wrong ones. I think <laughs> I, I think a lot of companies, you know, knee jerk reaction. All right, well, let's get really close with our HR teams. Let's let's start looking at the fine print and some of these offer letters and the sign on documentation. I think they'll be looking to 
uh, be very specific in their wording on the job descriptions. Um, a lot of different things like that, just as a classic, you know, CYA. But again, sadly, I, I think that really only makes the situation worse. I, I think ultimately, if you know, as a as like business owners should be looking at what is the root cause. Mm-hmm. And so I think the reason this is going on is because I think people are saying, well, I'm not really feeling that the extra hours, the extra emails, the extra calls, how how is that paying off, you know, f- for me personally? And so I think this whole work-life balance, uh, if we want to even call it balance, I think it's been really skewed for, for, for quite, quite some time. And I think people are just assessing on this whole effort versus reward. Uh, it was, it's pretty old, but I remember uh, Gary V. Um, he, he had like a round table or something, and he had a business owner who was an entrepreneur, a startup, and he was saying, you know, I'll be up till two or three o'clock in the morning whiteboarding. And, you know, I, I come into the office and I'm, I get discouraged when people aren't as passionate about the company as I am. And his answer was perfect. And he said, they shouldn't be. The economics are not the same. And I think I think a lot of business owners just tend to forget that. Um, yes. And so I think then again, you know, that's that's kind of where we where we find ourselves. I believe that the companies that are not experiencing this probably actually have what we would call like a true deep culture. It's not about the ping pong tables or free snacks. Mm-hmm. It's really about the culture of the organization. And you're not going to run into that if, if employees and team members truly want to be a part of that then you will never have the issue of quiet quitting. So, You know, it's interesting when you bring culture into it because mm. I think what you're really saying is that if you have someone that you suspect is quiet quitting, it's not about diagnosing them or judging them as a quiet quitter and then saying, okay, well then, you know, we're done with that. You have to look a little bit further. This is actually sort of like how procurement has tried to change our perspective on maverick spending or non-compliant spending where you say, okay, but why is that? Is it because the current contract doesn't meet their needs? Is it our e-procurement system is too hard to use? Is their boss not willing to approve things in a, in a timely manner? And the same thing I think applies here. So if you're a manager and you suspect that you have a quiet quitter on your team, maybe digging in a little bit to understand why do you think they're quiet quitting? If they are, why might there be? Um, Is it worth a little bit more consideration to understand it? Maybe even check your own perspective on hours of work and turnaround time and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's... I think it's, I don't want to say basic, but it's kind of a, a basic leadership principle, right? I mean, people want, people want leaders, not necessarily managers. And one of, one of my first managers actually told me, he said, you know, managing is what you do. Leadership is a craft. And so leadership, meaning understand what people want from their job, what they expect from that organization, but in turn, you should be sharing regularly what the company or what the companies expect from an individual contributor or from from leadership themselves. I think you know when we get into the hustle bustle and everything's going you know 100 miles an hour. I think you tend to forget the human element and that people are unique. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, the five languages of love. Like if you're giving somebody consistent pay increases, but all they want is a day off. Well, they're not going to feel appreciated. Uh, And so I think just really being specific on how you tailor to your workforce is really what it's going to boil down to is just keeping or remembering to connect those personal goals 
to the overarching company goals and why they even wanted to be a part of that journey in the first place. Oh, and the companies are not off the hook because we're talking about both quiet quitting Mm. and also quiet firing, which reminds me somewhat of ghosting somebody on the dating scene, giving them a fake phone number to text or a 1-800 or or just simply not responding to them. Mm. What if you're a person that suspects you're being quiet fired? What are you supposed to do? Well, so this... So honestly, for that, I mean, if you look at if you look at how being quiet, fired, or going through that, what that would look or feel like, I would. It's tough to say. It's probably you know every situation's a little different, but I would say find the exit because most. And I say that because most of those tactics that would catch your attention, they're probably going to be pretty toxic anyway. And again, that that goes back to my point of of the of the culture um, or. You know, if you wanted to take maybe a more um, a higher integrity, maybe approach, maybe just have that conversation, uh, be be transparent, or maybe share the transparency that you would expect from your leader, um, and just say, "Hey, I don't like this or that, or these are the things that are going on, and I'm concerned." Um, but for me, I would probably say if if that's what you feel, um, you might start just like kind of looking around and tap into your network. <laughs> Yeah. And there's there's an opportunity to learn even if you're not the person who's being quiet fired. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually think about office space. I'm just going to assume that everyone listening has seen that movie. If you haven't, that's your homework. See office space. There's the the guy with the red stapler and yeah. they had attempted to fire him some number of years before. And there was a mistake in some system and he had kept getting his paychecks. And so Rather than pulling him into HR and, I guess, re-firing him, they simply fixed the payroll glitch. <laughs> and so he he stopped getting paid. And then they moved him to the basement. Um, and I, I won't give up the, the ending, but he sort of resolves that in his own special yeah. But if, if you're at a company and you're observing a colleague being quiet fired – You've still learned something about that company culture, haven't you? Oh, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And it's—I don't even want to say it's the kind of the, the bystander effect. That's that's not really what it is. But I think it's just a reminder to to companies, um, and I would say into team members alike that you know, there's especially as we're in this digital world, information spreads so quickly. Yes. Um, and so you just need to be very very specific on what you say, what you do, and. You know, for me, like one of my common rules is treat every email like it's going to be forwarded. And you should probably treat every conversation like it will be shared, you know? Absolutely, that's true. And to your point about digital, be very careful about the order that things are done in. I mean, even if you are legitimately, traditionally firing someone, for instance, don't shut off their badge and email until they've had their sit down with HR. Mm. Um, I actually have a, a friend who worked at a company and one morning, I think a couple dozen of the people on the team couldn't get into their email accounts. They couldn't log into their uh, their systems accounts on their machines. And then of course, word started to spread that mm. they were doing a reduction in workforce. And those were the exact people that IT just got ahead of the curve on that one and they hadn't sat down with, with HR yet. And so remembering to be humane mm. about all of this, um, I, I do think it's it's hard because everyone's exhausted and it takes a lot of energy to handle these personnel issues. But the fact that it's tiring sort of doesn't take us off the hook in terms yeah. of handling these dynamics. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. 
Now, Chris, usually at the end of these conversations, we talk about heroism, but today I want to do something a little bit different and yet still related. Let's talk about courage because I think the sort of surface level way of looking at quiet firing and quiet quitting is just about low energy. It's sort of a passive way of handling a situation. But I do think there's a potential tie-in to how well we deal with difficult conversations, potentially with disagreement. Hmm. Do you think that we've lost the ability or I don't know, let's say the intestinal fortitude, uh, to have tough conversations. You know, have we have we lost the ability to sit down and say, you know, listen, Mary, I'm concerned about your performance. Or listen, Frank, we have some issues we need to talk through here. And instead I just say, you know what? I'm just going to move Mary and Frank to a lousy seat in the office. I'm going to stop inviting them to lunches. I'm going to give them lousy project assignments. Is it a is it a passive aggressive way of getting ourselves out of tackling some of these these tough talks? So I a little bit. I think a little bit, yes. I think it's a little bit of, you know, conflict avoidance or just not wanting to have those conversations. Or, but I, I think the issue ultimately goes goes much deeper than that. And it, even outside the vein of culture, but kind of still on that same channel. So so to answer your question at first. As a country, I would argue even kind of like on the global stage, like I, I do, I would agree. I think we've become pretty, pretty soft. Um, I also think that, you know, it's, I think people maybe have reservations of having tough conversations because of maybe things that have happened or, you know, I guess what I mean is the middle ground appears to be kind of disappearing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're either too direct or you're too fluffy. It's, it's right or left, red or blue. It's, there's not a lot of people who are saying, well, well, hold on, what's the situation and what's the topic? Because that determines how I feel about it, right? But but I also think that this this whole quiet quitting storm, and even if we want to go back to, you know, the great resignation, right? I, I think really what it's about is, is forced reflection. Um, I was listening to a, another show, it was a while ago, but this this gentleman, he absolutely, in my opinion, nailed it. And what he had said was, is that lockdowns, it actually forced re- reflection upon the masses, right? It, it yes. forced you to say, do you like your decisions? Do you like your job? Do you like your house? Do you like who's in your house? <laughs> do, you, you know, do you like your car? And I, I think with that, you know, just d- day in and day out being forced to acknowledge your decisions and commitments and then seeing, I don't want to say what's on the other side, but digesting all of that, I think on a grand scale, uh, people at their core are just recalibrating life. And what I think is so interesting to me, and I, again, this will probably come up in future po- podcasts with you, but at the same time, full countries, industries, and governments are recalibrating at the same time. So when these all come and merge with this newfound recalibration, I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this this whole topic just continues to progress. Because in my opinion, I don't, I really don't think it's going anywhere. I, I think if anything, you know, you were to look at, you know, if it is, if it, for example, if it's a purely a risk first reward 
issue, I think there's going to be maybe a lot of side hustles come back. I mean, is could this potentially be the rebirth of lots of small manufacturing plants around the country? I, I don't know. I, I guess the long and short of it is, is that yes, I, you know, I think in a way where they're both companies and team members are avoiding a crucial conversation that probably just needs to be had. But at the same time, I think it's some have had enough and some people are trying to figure out what does work for them. Yeah. And I like your point about forced reflection. Um, I, I certainly agree with you that that was you know, the net effect on a, a broad scale of, of everybody being forced to stay home. And I'm lucky. I love my job. I love what I do. I love the people that I work with. But if you were somebody in the past who was just sort of, quote unquote, working a job, Mm -hmm. and then what really was your passion was the social club you belong to after the end of the workday or the, you know, the soccer league or, okay, Phil, football league that you participate in locally, or you, you play mixed doubles on a tennis court somewhere in town on the weekends and that's your passion. Well, when all of those things go away, Mm -hmm. now you're just working a job and, and maybe there's not enough to that. Maybe the reward's not there from a fulfillment standpoint. Absolutely. Absolutely. You actually took it to a whole nother level. I think you're right. It's, are you passionate about what you do? And I think that used to be the case for so many people. And I think we've kind of, and I don't know if it's the side effect of hustle culture and just doing whatever it takes to to get the next deal, right? Or get the next opportunity. But I think it's, whether it's turned into chasing dollars or chasing, you know, an influencer status or things like that, it's what what actually matters to you at your core as a person. And when when the lights aren't on and you know, social media channels aren't showing your new car and your new house. Like, what do you really want to be mm-hmm. doing? And I think a lot of people are trying to figure that out, um, which interestingly enough, you know, my, I always tell my daughter when we're talking about what she wants to be when she grows up, I said, you have all the time in the world. Do not rush that. Like, start with what you love to do and could do for the rest of your life. Um, then form your career around that. Money will come, but do what you're passionate about. And I think as, as a country or as a workforce, that's been forgotten for, for quite some time. I think it has been too. No, I absolutely agree. And so as trendy as the quiet quitting and the quiet firing are, I think there are some very real undercurrents that all of us should stop and, and pause and think about and discuss and learn from. And then depending on what we think, potentially have the courage to act on. Yeah. Um, so I, I think this is just as important of a topic for us to address and give people a space to think about, as are some of the other topics that we've talked about globally in terms of disruption and, and human need. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to focus in on this. Of course, we're going to yeah. stay on top of the Giselle and, and, and Tom Brady situation. So <laughs> don't anybody worry. We've, we've got our reporting staff staying on top of that. Uh, Chris, for, for people that are catching you for the first time joining us, listening into this episode, what would you say is the best way for them to get in touch with you, learn more about Una? What resources and, and places to connect would you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. So to learn more about Una, if you just go to Una, so una.com, um, there's a wealth of information and resources out there. And then also you can go to the About Us Um, I should have a a profile or a link out there, which would actually point you to my LinkedIn. Um, So if you want to get in touch with me, I'm I'm on LinkedIn as well. And 
That's the best way. Or you can reach out to me directly. It's just Chris, K-R-I-S at una.com. Excellent, Chris. Well, thank you once again, and we will talk to you next month. Can't wait. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.